Um, I remember like walking around and I specifically was walking in the grass because I knew, I knew in my mind that I was going to pass out and I thought I was going to die actually. Welcome to the Depression Files, where we talk about everything related to mental health, from depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. We educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right, I want to welcome Josh Okerson to the show. Josh, hey, thank you for joining us on The Depression Files. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'd like to start just, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm, uh, I'm 34, and uh, I've lived in Missouri most of my life. And uh, around the age of 17, I think, um, I was diagnosed with... Uh, panic disorder, which most of most of the mental illnesses that have anxiety also have depression that come along with it. So um, I've been struggling with that since 1999, both anxiety and depression, both, but also ADHD. All three since you were about 17? Yeah, my, my initial diagnosis, I think when I was 13, was ADHD. And then if you look at um, statistic-wise, it, it's... It's common that sixty um, percent of people with ADHD also have a an anxiety disorder with it. Um, so the anxiety disorder wasn't really uh, a problem until um, my about sixteen years old. I think uh, my freshman year in high school is when it really when the panic and stuff and depression really hit hard. How did that? Uh, how did the panic piece manifest itself? Was there like one big um, incident that involved panic, or was it gradual? Tell us about the panic piece. Uh, well, I, I've, I think I've always had it. Now that I look back, as I was a kid, I mean, I think I had it back then pretty bad. Um, I, it just wasn't diagnosed or treated. Um, but I think what kind of threw me into it the the panic and and it becoming a huge problem was it a bit a pretty big change in my life I was uh, my my older brother and I were pretty close and he had graduated right at the beginning of my sophomore year in high school and he went off to the army and I think that that may have threw me into it you know because I was kind of going to school alone and I lost a good friend and a brother and it was just kind of weird for me to, to go to school alone and face that, you know, I felt like I lost a friend and I think that that's what triggered it. But, um, as far as the, the panic and the anxiety, that's, that's been evident all my life. What do you mean when you say all your life? Like what age do you remember things related to the anxiety? Um, as far back as I can remember, I mean, like, weird things that a child shouldn't even think about like um uh, i just i remember oh i can give you a lot of incidents um there is a i think one time when i lost a tooth 
you know, um, my mom in the middle of the night, I think, slid her hand under my pillow. And I just remember feeling that. And, uh, and I was just petrified to look around, you know, just, and, and I stayed there for like two hours, just wide awake, couldn't even move, just, just petrified in fear for really no reason. Now that I look back on it, I knew it was my mom. I think it, I even knew it was my mom then. <laughs> right. But right. just, um, and then like, I was afraid to, uh, to engage in, in, in things that might injure my health, like football, uh, playing sports, just a lot of, a lot of things that had, had a little risk there, but the risk in my mind was blown out of proportion. Um, did that also so, manifest itself in in ways such as uh, more basic daily life things, such as crossing the street? Was that scary for you because you were really concerned about cars coming? Primarily, I think I think my major most concern was uh, um, getting injured. I mean, death death crossed my mind even as a kid. Um, just. Just anything that would that had even a slight risk, you know. I remember having a tumor removed from my rib when I was I think five or six, and you know, although it was simple surgery and it was benign, it wasn't cancerous or anything. I remember when the doctor said I had to get surgery, told my mom that, and I just just broke down and started crying, and. Because I, I knew that, you know, for some reason, you wouldn't think a kid would know that, but I knew that there are risks associated with even just being um, put to sleep, let alone the operation. Right. So right. things like things like that really, um, I think those were the most uh, triggersome for me. It's, it's interesting because when you said you were five and you heard that news, my first reaction was, of course you were scared as hell, but then... Yeah. I realize, like you said, most five-year-olds, I don't think they're so aware of, of what that means to have a tumor and to be cut open to uh, and put to sleep, like you said, um, anesthesia. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that I I knew far too much for my age, maybe. Right, <laughs> um, right. And, and I still think that I probably do, but, uh, you know, it, it gets easier over time, but, you know, it, it's, it never goes away. Um, it's, you know, you take medicine, you know, things that can help it. Yeah. Um, but it's always there. And so, you, you know, you think you had these issues looking back as a little kid, but but nothing was diagnosed at all until age 13 or 14. I think you said with the ADHD. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> and, you know, my dad it, and this is where I think um, me and psychologist disagree because my dad had the, had the same thing. I mean, you know, I asked him about his childhood. Right. I said, what do you remember about it? And he just said I was real fearful and just scared of everything, didn't want to do anything. And so I'm thinking that, in, in my opinion, it's not proven yet, but I think that it's probably inherited. A lot of mental illness is probably inherited. It's something to do with the makeup of your brain and how it fires. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, that I would don't make a lot of sense to me. You know, it sounds, yeah. it, it definitely makes a lot of sense to me. Like you said, a lot of mental illnesses, there's at least a link and a, a increased uh, susceptibility to one who has it in the family. Yeah, and especially if when you look at like um, 
instances like mine when when it's been pretty much um, there from childhood. You know, it's it's different if say you lived a normal life up until you're 20, and then you know you have started having anxiety problems. That might be, you know, chemical imbalance. It might be a change in your life that happened. You know, you might be able to talk that out with medication and and talk therapy. Right. But for somebody, but for somebody that you know is a child and should be oblivious to um, one way or the other how to feel, um, the fact that you know I felt anxious at such a young age um, tells me that it's probably you know something that I inherited, um, mm-hmm. and that medication and, and it's not in the way <clears throat> I'm thinking. I don't think that that. Um, like psychologists, they they want to pen everything about the way one thinks, and I don't really think there's necessarily wrong, anything wrong with the way I think or the way I look at things. It's just something that's kind of hardwired in me, I guess. Right. So, thirteen or fourteen, diagnosed with ADHD. Did you go? Uh, did you start getting medicated for that then? Yeah. Um, one of the, I think the one of the first medicines I I, I was on was um, Ritalin and Impermine, which is Impermine's an older older antidepressant, anti-panic um, medication, and um, I just remember that uh, they both made me really really like drowsy. Imper mm-hmm. um, or excuse me, Ritalin is, is a stimulant, a psychostimulant. And, but for people who have ADHD, it, it works opposite on. And, uh, if you were to take it, you might be hyped up or anxious, but someone with ADHD, it calms them down, but right. it calmed me down to, to uh, the point where I was really <laughs> tired all the time. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, I was medicated. Uh, that was my first early memory of the medicine I started taking. Um, is it is it normal to be um, prescribed an antidepressant along with the Ritalin? Is like w- was that um, solely based upon the diagnosis of ADHD, or were they thinking there was some depression that they were treating as well? Um, that's a good question. I think that um, if in my experience, I think the the majority of most psychiatrists, when you go to see them, the first thing that they want to put you on is the antidepressant, whether you have anxiety, ADHD, because it's kind of like a, for some reason, in in psychiatry, it's kind of the go to pill. You know, it's the it's the first line of defense for anxiety, uh, ADHD. I mean, unless you're schizophrenic but even but even even people or bipolar but even people with bipolar are often prescribed an antidepressant um so i think that i think that he prescribed it to kind of aid with the stimulant you know um right. maybe to kind of balance things out and it, of course people with adhd like i said that 60 percent of them have an anxiety disorder too and 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 I'm thinking that he probably just prescribed that to get the anxiety part of the ADHD under control right. while 
while the stimulant, you know, helped the focus and stuff like that. And I realize while I'm asking this, you this question, you were 13 at that point, it was probably conversations that were being had with your parent about exactly why you were taking each. I do think that it's important for listeners to know, I think it's important always to talk to the psychiatrist and know why they're prescribing what. Again, obviously at 13, it's a little different and hopefully your parents doing that. But I have met some people who are on meds and, and they name off like five or six different meds and they don't even know what half of them are for. And it always surprises me. Um, I think it's really important to have those conversations with the psych- psychiatrist and really understand why they're offering to put you on which meds. Yeah, I'm 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 glad you brought that point up because in psychiatry, I mean, a lot of them, if you find an honest psychiatrist, he'll tell you that when you come in with anxiety or depression and they want to put you on a, a antidepressant, it's literally like throwing a dart at a dartboard. Uh, right. They're taking a complete shot in the dark and I think that it's important like you said to uh, to if, if you have a mental illness educate yourself uh, about the different chemicals you know dopamine norepinephrine serotonin GABA and what they do and um, kind of uh, I'm not saying that you should replace your doctor but be your own doctor and, and kind of bring something to the table to collaborate with your doctor because a lot of times it's it's guesswork for him and and you know you know how the medicines make you feel F- figure out what they're doing and try to try to offer some input as say if one medicine didn't work mm-hmm. try to figure out why and, and and figure out figure out the ones that have worked for you and maybe what they have in common and then see see like for me uh, for the anxiety and depression part of me I've, I've noticed that um, certain drugs work better than others, and of those drugs, um, they all have one thing in common: they 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 target serotonin and norepinephrine, things like Effexor and Cymbalta, uh, those kind of drugs. Um, so when I go to my doctor, you know, instead of trying just something like Celexa or Zoloft that's just an SSRI that only hits serotonin, I tell them, you know. I already know that that's probably not going to be the best therapeutic medicine. So I, I tell them, you know, that um, let's try one that hits both of these uh, neurotransmitters. And, you know, a lot of times I'll go in there and, and I'll kind of just tell my doctor, of course, he knows that, that I've done research and I've, I've researched the different medicines and the different disorders since I was first diagnosed and you know I think he he has a a lot of confidence in my knowledge and and he's willing to try the medicines that I suggest but I think that the um, knowledge is definitely will give you the edge the more you know about your disorder what causes it and how the medicines work then the better off you're going to be in treating yourself in the long run Yeah absolutely um so, you know, do, do some of the research and uh, ask questions, right? Ask questions of yeah, the doctor. Definitely. I mean, a lot of people that have been diagnosed, they've, they've probably, you know, been dealing with it for a while and, and maybe they know quite a bit about it already. But if you don't, you know, read up on it, it's, it, it's not going to hurt you. It's, it, if anything... 
it's going to make you feel better because, you know, when I read about things or people or medicine, you know, um, that I can relate to, you know, and, and I realize, hey, I'm not alone. Hey, there's other people like me. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel I'm not so alone and hopeless. Right. So educating, if, if you get anything out of just educating yourself on it and the different medicines, it's going to be a feeling of, you know, of sigh of relief to know that uh, you're not alone. Right. Absolutely. So then, you know, I hear you saying ADHD diagnosed 13 or 14 and then around 17 or 18, uh, you ended up with another diagnosis of anxiety and the panic disorder. And I know you've mentioned your brother leaving had a large impact. Um, and actually when you were telling me that and you mentioned it was kind of like losing a friend, I can only imagine that also whether it was in your subconscious or right on the conscious level, you must have been concerned about his welfare as well, which would be pretty stressful on a brother. Yeah. Um, you know, he was going into the army, although we wasn't at, you know, we wasn't at war at that time. There's always that concern. Um, but mainly he was just going to be so far away. I mean, I could, it's not like I could pick up. I mean, he was overseas Right. Or he was gonna he was gonna be shipped overseas. It's not like I could pick up the phone and talk to him or yeah, he can, you know, drive drive a few hours to come up and see me. It's like I'm give I'm basically giving up contact other than email with him. Right. So it was it was a pretty it's a pretty big adjustment. Yeah, oh, I'm um, sure. I think I think I think it was more subconsciously, you know, because I didn't feel at the time that that it um bothered me a whole lot but I think it was my second day of school is when I just had a full out panic attack you know I mean the worst that I've had since I've since I've been diagnosed and you were a sophomore uh, in high school is that right yeah so tell us about that time the the panic attack you just referred to oh man I, I remember I remember going I had a I had a class that was greenhouse um it was a two-hour class, and basically we just learned about the different kinds of plants and stuff like that. It was really laid back. You know, I liked it because I like nature. And I just remember walking in the door and just everything. I just completely felt, like, disconnected from reality. Like, it, it almost felt like I was living in a dream. And then people's voices began to to just become one big kind of chaotic roar, roar that didn't really make sense and you know I, I i felt faint um and i just remember like man i gotta get out of here and i walked out of the door i just started walking home and actually that wasn't even the the bad part of it that was when i got home it was actually when i experienced the the, the full-fledged panic you know um it, that was my first time experiencing that level of panic. And what I remember was pace. that like when you walked in the door. Um well, when I when I got home I, I was kinda wondering, you know, what happened to me? What did I not eat this morning or could I you know, because I kinda felt like passing out and I figured maybe it's something maybe I need to eat something. But you know, probably about an hour after I got home is when the when the main the main panic attack hit and 
I remember going outside because, you know, it's hard to sit still in a panic attack. You know, you're just like losing your mind, basically. You feel like you're losing your mind. You feel like you're losing control of everything. Um, and I remember like walking around and I specifically was walking in the grass because I knew, I knew in my mind that I was going to pass out and, and I thought I was going to die actually. And I was so confident that that was going to happen that that's why I walked in the grass. So if, when I fainted, I wouldn't hit my head on any concrete or the sidewalk. Wow. So that's how, that's how, of course I, I didn't pass out and I didn't die, but at that moment, I was so confident of that, that that's why I walked in the grass so I wouldn't hurt myself going down. And it's just, man, anxiety causes so much physical symptoms in addition to the, the mental, you know, it's just. What were your body sensations at that point? I mean, was your heart racing? Were you? My heart was racing. Um, I just, my skin, my skin was like pale. I felt like, like, um, real dizzy, um, Cars would go by the street, and I would see tracers on the end of them, like um, right, like almost like on some kind of drug or something, some kind of really bad trip on a drug or something. I don't know, but it was I couldn't hardly talk. I remember my neighbor coming over and asking me if I was all right, and I couldn't hardly talk to him. Um, I couldn't get out the words. It was like my like my tongue and my jaw was kind of almost locked up um, for a period of time. Uh, fast heart rate. Your neighbor um, must have been pretty pretty scared too. Yeah, and you know I was gonna tell him he he was an old uh, he's he's an elderly man but real nice probably the nicest guy I've ever met in my life. And um, you know I told he asked me if I was all right and at first you know I was like. Yeah, I think I'm all right. But then I admitted to him, I was like, no, something's wrong. You know, I, I don't know how to explain it. But, you know, I felt like I was going to die earlier and I don't know what's going on. And I went over his house and he tried to uh, feed me some soup and kind of talk about it. And of course, I didn't know what was going on. So I really didn't know, you know, what I was experiencing or even really how to describe it because I've never felt. Up until that point, I had never felt anything close, you know, from if unless you're experiencing this, a lot of people don't understand panic. And, you know, they think that it's reserved. They think that panic is something reserved for the most extreme of conditions, you know, where your body is basically, you know, fight or die. But, um, you know, to, to and especially at such a young age to experience this and try to tell it to people um you know it's it was probably hard for them to understand and it was hard for me to explain but yeah. um and, and you really I, didn't know what was going on right i know you said you felt like you were going to die at one point but you didn't even really know why no um and to this day well i mean to this day i i don't know exactly like i said is my brother may leave and maybe triggered it, but I think that it was inevitable. I think that my brother's leaving probably just pushed it a little sooner. But, you know, I, like I said, I've had panic all my life and it's, it's probably 
inevitable that it was going to um, get worse right. because they pe- people with any kind of mental disorder, especially that diagnosed when they get in their teens and adolescence, that's when it usually becomes um, full fledged and uh, something that requires treatment. Right. So the, the neighbor, did he help calm you down and then you were finally able to go home or what, what happened after that? Yeah. Um, I, I sat and talked with him a little bit and, um, you know, I had, a um, a talk with him about how, how I felt and he did his best to kind of comfort me and fed me some, uh, think some chicken noodle soup because I told him, you know, my main complaint was that I felt like I was going to pass out dizzy. Right. And, you know, most people, they would automatically think that you need something to eat. But, um, it was, uh, it was this pretty scary experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you end up just walking back home and was anybody there then? Yeah. I ended up going home probably about an hour later. Um, my mom was at work, but I remember when my mom got home, um, I kind of told her about it and I couldn't go back to school for quite some time. And and that's when the depression side of it kind of started coming into play. Um, you know, cause I felt like whatever this was, you know, I felt like I couldn't control it. Like, Mm -hmm. like it's basically going to have its way with me. Right. And, to to give up control of your body and your mind. Oh, that's scary. It's not so, it's not something that anybody wants to do, but and I felt like that I was that this was it just like any other disorder, cancer or or, or low blood sugar, or diabetes. Uh, I felt like it was something that I couldn't control and, and that leads to depression. You know, everybody wants to be control of their life. Nobody wants to take medicine, you know, to, for anything. They, you want to be as free as you can. And the fact that this was hanging over me and, and that I'm going to have to take medicine again, um, just kind of led to that depression, that overwhelming sense of hopelessness, you know? Right. Right. So you said you were out of school for some time after that. Um, how long were you out? And was that just because you were embarrassed to go back or because you wanted to get checked out uh i would say man uh, three weeks to a month um you know shortly after that i went to the back to the psychiatrist um which i hadn't seen in in a couple years as far as i remember as far as i remember i was off all my medicine up until that point except maybe one, but, um, I went back to the psychiatrist and that's, that's when a new psychiatrist, a child and adolescent one. And that's when he diagnosed me with panic disorder. And I was put on Zoloft at the time. And then then I gave it when that started, of course I had to take it a few weeks when that's, that gave me some relief and I was eventually able to go back to school when that kind of, uh, and that kind of started to kick in. I also needed um, Klonopin with it, a, a small dose of that. Um, but that that started uh, really helping me. Um, I felt like I had at least 
um, some control, you know, over how I felt and I felt comfortable going back to school. But, you know, it's been hard ever since that, that day. So you, you jumped on some meds with the help of a psychiatrist and, and tried to wait for them to kick in essentially. Then you started going back to school. Um, and what was it like when you went back to school? Were you concerned, worried? You were feeling better, it sounds like. Uh, I, I was feeling better. Um, I think that there, there was always that thought of, you know, experiencing that, that feeling again. You know, I didn't want it to, I didn't want to be in front of a bunch of people or in class, you know, right. When, and all of a sudden have a panic attack because I didn't want to be embarrassed. I didn't want to, you know, have to tell the teacher what was going on. Um, so that kind of that kind of hung over my shoulder, and 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 I wasn't quite as comfortable in in any of the classes or around any of the people, even if I've known them, you know, all my life. I I, I never had that comfort back um, of being, you know, with ex- with considerably less anxiety um after i experienced that panic attack the anxiety was there and it was more noticeable i wasn't as comfortable doing things or talking to people or anything social for some reason after that did you start seeing a a therapist for any kind of talk therapy as well um they they tried to I tried to see a therapist a couple times, um, but uh, you know they. I just disagreed with, um, you know. I think therapists are great. I think that um, they can work for a lot of people. There's several studies that uh, most studies indicate that, you know, it, it's helpful for for people with anxiety and depression and other mental illnesses I just don't think that in my case it was my feelings and and anxiety and stuff was derived from the way I was thinking you know I didn't think my thought process was messed up and that's basically what um, psychology and, and talking to a therapist try to do they try to change the way of thinking and I just didn't really think that um, that that I had a problem with thinking you know negative or or that my thinking was bad in any way so you know I I got very little out of therapy you know I for me medication was probably the best and then you know I just I basically tried to to deal with things um, with the medicine on my own, the same thing that a therapist would probably tell me anyway, I, I already kind of knew. And so I would deal with uh, things in a slow manner. Like, um, for example, if I was petrified about being in a social situation, um, I would try to, like, let's say, for example, Walmart. I hate going into Walmart. I hate shopping. But, and at that time, I didn't even you couldn't get me to go into Walmart, but over time I'd say, you know, let's go into Walmart or let's go in this social situation for 10 minutes and then, then we'll take a break. And then, you know, tomorrow or the next day, go there for 20 minutes and then take a break and then kind of build yourself back up to, 
basically being comfortable again. Right, trying to ease into it. Mm-hmm. I think the, the the most profound thing that's that's worked for me was medication, and and it, you know they don't always. Uh, sometimes it takes a long time to figure out the right combination of medicine, the right dosage, things like that. But um, it can happen, and it does. You know, and and once you find that good combination, um, then it's worth the wait, I would say. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you've been on meds for almost 20 years or so. Yeah. And, uh, and has there been a lot of changes throughout those 20 years, different medications, different dosages, or has a lot of it been uh, pretty stable? Oh, yeah. Um, I've, before I knew about when I first started going to the doctor, I, I mean, they pretty much tried just about, I went down the list of all the medications, all just about all the antidepressants, um, and just about all the antipsychotics because for some reason they an antipsychotic they prescribe along with an antidepressant in, in people with depression and anxiety um, because it kind of boosts the antidepressant effects. So yeah, I was um, I tried a lot of them different doses and I've even tried some medicines four or five times just to see if my body would react different um, but I found I found a handful of medicines that that I think work the best out of out of all of them and you know antidepressants in general are, are, are about 60% effective um, so you know if it, chance of you taking one you have a 60% chance of getting better and and then it's even slimmer than that to achieve remission to where you can go out even on the medicine and and, and almost have nothing to worry about i've never got to that point i still struggle tremendously but but the medicines i'm on make it a lot better uh, make it a lot more comfortable um, right. and i can i can live a, a, a better quality of life um, on the medicines that work for me. Right. Yeah, I would imagine there are a lot of different variabilities, right? Um, as to oh, how, yeah. how it, effective the meds work for different people. Yeah, it, it, it depends on, it depends on what's going on inside your brain. Basically, uh, you know, you could be low on one, uh, chemical or your brain's maybe not producing enough of one chemical and then be fine on the other four main ones. Or right. you could be low you could be low on three out of the four or four out of the four. Right. It's really kind of hit and miss. It it just depends on everybody's different depends on their diagnosis, you know, yeah. and it depends on the severity of it. Um but uh yeah, it, it it's it sometimes takes a while and it, it can get discouraging. I know that, especially when you're first when you first see that psychiatrist for your initial, you know, evaluation. Uh sometimes finding the right med takes even finding just the right antidepressant takes some time. But uh don't get frustrated because eventually you're gonna try something that will help you feel better. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Like, don't bail on the meds right away. 
um, give the the psychiatrist the time and the, the time for the meds to kick in and the psychiatrist the time to, to change them up and to, to find what's right for you. Um, I don't think meds are for everybody, but I think if you give it a shot, you may as well give it a full shot like that. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned the clonopin, because if I remember correctly, the clonopin is um, in the class of Valiums. Is that right? Yeah, benzodiazepine. Yeah, so um, I am no, I, a... I'm no doctor, and I'm not prescribing this to anybody, but I do know that um, in my case, it was recommended to me by a doctor that um, in addition to starting out on an antidepressant because they know how long it takes to become fully effective, they would put me on a bit of clonopin to help take the edge off of the uh, anxiety and the depression before the antidepressants could actually kick in. So I think that's definitely right. worth a question to a doctor, you know, realizing that antidepressants can take so long to kick in um, is um, clonopin or, or something similar. Um, a viable mm -hmm. option and it might not be and different doctors probably have different opinions on that too i would imagine yeah so, that that's exactly right um a, a lot of them especially if you if you're having panic they'll start your antidepressant and low dose of clonopin uh typically doctors don't prescribe clonopin for long-term use um, right well this it's is, highly addictive yeah this is where i disagree this is where I disagree with doctors. Um, I think clonopin can be effectively used long term because I'm a living example of that. I've taken it for 20 years. Uh -huh. I've never got a, I've never got addicted. I've I've barely had to increase my dose from the time I started to the time for to how much I take now. But you're right. There are people that um, it's it, it's a. I've never got addicted to it, but there's apparently a lot of people who have. There's apparently a lot of people who use it, um, and because of that, it's one of the, it, it's one of the the highest uh, watched Valium, Clonopin, Lorazepam, yeah, Xanax. They're all dependent on what doctor. Some doctors don't even write a prescription out for it. They won't even prescribe anybody it. Yeah. That's true. So I, I got to ask because I would imagine it's on the minds of some of the listeners. Um, you know, you say you're not addicted to clonopin, yet you've been on clonopin for 20 years. Um, what's to say that you're not addicted? Like, how well, do you define addicted, right? There's a there's a difference to me in, in, in addictive and dependent. Addictive is where you you crave a high, uh, like like nicotine or something where you wake up and you want it, you like the way it makes you feel. I, I have none of that with Klonopin. First of all, uh, I, I don't take it during the day because I don't like, I don't really yeah, like, right. I don't really like how it makes you, makes me feel to be honest with you because uh -huh. it kind of, it kind of makes you tired and, and it, it makes you basically, you're not as sharp and you're not as focused. Right. So you um, use it before sleep. Yeah. Okay. And I just do it. I just do it once a day. Um, okay. But, yeah, if if I do stop taking it, which I have for a few days, then I get some uh, pretty bad uh, sensations of of anxiety again. Um, but I've never I've never um, felt the need to you know hey I'm going out in a social situation let's take half a clonopin because I'm going to freak out. Right, it's nothing like that. It's a long acting. 
it's a long acting benzodiazepine, so um, it covers me for 24 hours. And basically, the only thing it really does, and it does it well, is it prevents panic. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't have those panic attacks anymore. Right, right. Um, so, in addition to medication, is there anything else that you do to make sure you stay mentally fit? Um, I would say. I love, I like to fish. I like anything outdoors. Anything so kind that's, of a hobby and getting outside. Yeah. Anything that's anything that's peaceful and calming, like fishing or being out in nature, meditation. I mean everybody's obviously different, so they'll they'll find their own, you know, things that, that bring them comfort and, and help them relax. Uh, mine happens to be fishing. Mm-hmm. But I would say any, just do what take time to do you know, things for yourself and, and don't get caught up in the fast paced world. You need to take, take time out for yourself and, and do what you enjoy at least, you know, so much, so many hours of, out of the week. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that that can, uh, um, contribute significantly. Also having a good support group, right? Either, a, either a therapist, if you don't have a therapist, then, you know, family or friends or anybody that anybody that um, can relate to you and yeah. and, kind of, and kind of help you out. Uh, that's tremendously important for for long term uh, wellness. Yeah, well, I agree 100 percent. And somebody you can trust. Right. So you could actually call them up and say, you know what, I'm having a bad day and I would love to talk about it. Right. Uh, a lot of people, you know, um, unfortunately, you can't find a a lot of people that uh, understand because it, and it's been my experience that unless uh, you talk to somebody that ha- is going through the same thing as you or something very similar that they can't relate, not even therapist, in my opinion, therapists can't relate or n- neither can psychiatrists. Yeah. I mean, they, can, they have a logical idea of how you feel based on books, but they don't actually know how you feel you know they're not inside shoes i agree 100 percent. i've said that i think i've offended some therapists before and it's not to say that i don't believe they can help you because i do think they can immensely help people and at the same time to understand the exact feeling which is so difficult to describe to people of like a major depression and probably in your case a a serious panic attack it's one of those Mm. things if you have not been through it I, I don't know if you would ever really be able to understand what, what that feeling is. And that's part of the misconception around depression that I like to to make sure people are aware of, that too many people associate depression with just being sad. And I think at, in many cases and at many times, depression isn't even a sadness. It's more of a numbness and a, a heaviness and so difficult it is. To, to explain to people who have never been through it. Yeah, it is. I'm a, a- a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, when you when you mention, you know, if someone's got a mental illness, they think the the most drastic of circumstances. They think of somebody being crazy, or they think of, let's say, the, you know, the the Sandy Hook massacre, or right. you know, pe- people with guns, and that's not at all what what mental illness looks like. Actually, nine times out of ten, if you see somebody or you meet somebody that's got a mental illness. They come across as a normal, regular person. Yeah, it's they're, they're suppressing their feelings. Well, and there's and, and there's research and data that shows that most 
people with a mental illness are more likely to be the victim of a violent crime than to ever perpetrate one. Oh yeah, I I I believe that a hundred percent because uh, they they don't have they're so focused. If someone's deeply depressed or deeply anxious, I'm telling you from experience, they're so focused on their self and and trying to figure out what's going on and trying to get themselves to feel better. They don't have time to 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 go out and harm anybody or think about anything else. Right. Um. So. Do you feel a, a like, lot of do you feel like nutrition and uh exercise has been important for you? Is that a part of your uh um... uh yeah, you know, I try I try to exercise uh I think that it I think that it helps a lot um especially long term. I think that the more time you can you can engage out of your mind whether it's you know, walking, taking a walk, playing basketball, anything that kind of stops that train of repetitive thinking about yourself and your anxiety and your depression. I think that that's, um, that that helps in the long run as well as diet. Um, so yeah, definitely those two, you know, diet, probably not in my case. I haven't really noticed a whole lot of it, whether I eat three perfect meals a day or you know, a couple smaller meals. Right. Um, I haven't really noticed a whole lot in that aspect, but I think that, you know, it, it's certainly not going to help to have a really good diet and uh, stay away from foods that are going to going to like slow you down, like take mm-hmm. more energy energy to metabolize. Because if you got depression, you don't want to eat something and feel sleepy again because you're already tired all the time to begin with. Right. Um, right. But I think I think yeah, just common sense in both of those uh you know, try to balance them out, you know, try yeah. to get try to get a you know, at least a mild workout um you know, three times a week and and eat eat, eat healthy the best. It's not necessarily how much you eat and how often it's what you eat, you know, right. just make make the things that you do eat uh, good for you, good for your brain, and and help uh, help your brain produce more of the, of the chemicals that you're probably lacking. Right. So, so since your uh, major panic attack that you had when you were 17 or 18, um, have you had other severe bouts of depressive bouts or um, episodes of panic? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, both of those. They seem to come. Uh, it seems like the antidepressants when I try one, even if it works, um, in my experience that, uh, most of the time the antidepressant, uh, years down the road, two, three, four years down the road, your body will stop responding to it as it did when you first started taking it. That's been, uh, the case with me. So I would, I would have most of the time I would have to take a medicine, you know, and then three years I would have to switch over to another medicine that's a little bit different, but, but basically similar. And then I would do okay on that for, you know, one, two, three years. And then I would have to maybe go back to the old one. But I I think that my body just, um, gets used to, uh, especially antidepressants. It seems like it, it gets used to those over time and, course the circumstances of everyday life can trigger that as well um 
there's you know anything that big that happens in your life moving or a new job or anything even if it's subconsciously a lot of times that'll trigger the the kind of downfall and and you will uh slip a little bit and i've certainly slipped probably 10 15 times throughout since you know since i was diagnosed and what um, did one of, but, what did one of those slips look like can you describe it um they're just it's basically kind of like you're you're starting at square one again i mean you just get really uh the anxiety is a lot more uh, evident you you notice it more um you become and sometimes you're not even aware of it. You become more withdrawn. Um, you don't get out and do stuff as much. And, and it, it's never been as bad for me as it first was back in 1999. Um, but it does occur and it does, it's something I have to deal with. But it's not, uh, and a lot of times it's not debilitating. Um, but it can be. And, you know, that's just, I would rather have three years of, of being stable and versus a couple months of of a slip up, you know, of, of being down and anxious than to be that way all the time. Hmm. It's just it's just something I've learned to kind of expect and to kind of deal with when it happens. But I know that uh, I feel pretty good now, but I know that down the road that this is going to show its ugly face again. And it's just something I got to I got to deal with the best way I can and each time that it happens and you deal with it and it gets a little bit easier every time but you know that's not to discredit that depression and anxiety in any form is uh is real and it's it's um very hard to endure yeah do you have some warning signs that you feel certain sensations or things that alert you, okay, I'm, I'm about to slip and I need to start, you know, ramping up my exercise, going out fishing, um, any kind of uh, indicators for you? Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're pretty subtle at first. Um, you, you're kind of, uh, my major one is, is isolation. I become less involved in, in everyday life and talking to others then and it slowly progressively gets worse and you're self-aware um, of that you think um you know or does it take you like a full week of being alone in your it, at your place that you of, finally realize it 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 takes a while sometimes sometimes you're in denial you're like well i just don't have time or whatever and then you, you know you're sleeping more and more your appetite starts going down and then you kind of know that hey something's wrong you know the meds uh, probably quit working i need to discuss with my doctor that i'm because if you catch it i mean if you catch yourself going down and i don't know if it's like that for everyone i'm just saying that it's it, i have spells of it where um but maybe everyone doesn't have those kind of trip ups or whatever um but i think if you can you know, you start to realize those symptoms, uh, and if you if you catch it pretty soon, and you discuss it with your doctor, and you get treated, and you start talking to someone about it, I think that that really um, 
puts a stop to you dropping even further. Right. Um, it kind of it kind of catches that dip right when it happens instead yeah. of of it going down. Do and, you do you ever feel like um like you have a a heavy uh, reliance on medication? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I know I do. And do you I mean, feel like that's something that you could get away from or you're not interested in getting away from it? I'm wondering about your feelings um, on um, that. You know, I, I would love, I often tell myself this, if you had two lives, if you know, if I could go back to 13 or whenever I first started taking medicine, I probably, I wish I was an adult and I probably would have, would have resisted it with all my might because being dependent on anything is, is, is not something that people, you know, look forward to, you know, nobody, nobody with diabetes wants to take insulin, you know, nobody with depression wants to take pills. I mean, cause it just, it restricts your life. But, um, I probably would have, would have resisted medicine, uh, if I could have, and, when it was first prescribed to me now, whether or not I would have, you know, lived successfully or, or whether I would have been able to get my problems under control. I don't know. You know, that's just something, uh, I don't know, but I, I realized that now, you know, and even doctors have told me that, uh, you know, cause I've asked them, you know, is this anxiety and depression, you know, something that uh, I'm going to deal with most of my life. And since I've dealt with it from a child, uh, they pretty much say it's, it's, you know, it's more than likely you will. And it takes some time to kind of, to kind of let that sink in. It takes some time for you to, like, it took a long time for me to say, you know, okay, I have to admit the fact that I'll probably have to take medicine the rest of my life. And you know what? As long as if it's provided me a better quality of life, I'm okay with that. Right. Something that you just, you know, and it's not, like you said, medicine is not for everyone. A lot of people, especially if they've maybe been diagnosed, recently been diagnosed with depression or, or anything like that. Um, as long as it's not too complex and they haven't been struggling with it all their life, it's probably um, safe to say that they could probably put that at bay with uh, just maybe some talk therapy mm-hmm. or maybe even a medicine, but just for a shorter period of time and then be off it. But right. chronic sufferers like myself that just the depression is immense and the anxiety is so intense. I think that, um, most of them, I, you know, I can't say because I don't have any statistics, but in my opinion, most of, most of the people who have chronic, and that's where it's clinical, um, will probably have to be on, on a medicine, at least something for the, for the rest of their life. Right. Yeah, and you hear, you know, everybody's depression is completely different, I think, right? Like, um, in my case, I've had two major, like, very major bouts of depression and now I've been mentally healthy for four years. I still take a medication. I just take one pill a day. Um, 
but and that's something that I'm not really willing to give up because I feel like if that's one of the factors helping me be mentally healthy, mentally fit, then it's worth it. And I don't really want to give up any pieces of uh, any of the tools from my toolbox that I'm utilizing to stay mentally healthy. I don't want to give up on those because I never, ever want to be in that place I was in again. Oh, but yeah. I, but that's... I do wonder once in a while, like, you know, I know you talked about not doing therapy, um, but some of the things you've said, I, I wonder if some of your thought processes get in the way. Like, for example, you make it sound inevitable that you're going to have another depressive bout or another panic attack. And, and I can't tell you, like, I disagree. I don't really know you and your history well enough, but man, I think it, if you go through, um, life assuming, yep, next one's right around the corner. Like it's bound to happen versus kind of change your mind frame of, all right, I'm on meds. I'm exercising more. I'm, I'm on the right path and I'm going to keep that thing at bay. Um, I wonder how much the mind itself medication or no medication had, can play a part of that. That's yeah, why I like the talk therapy. That's that's you make a good point, but you gotta you gotta remember. I mean, I uh, uh, when I say that, hey, I'm gonna deal with this in the future. That's um, based solely on my past history. Right, it's happened here, 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 and here. Yeah, I mean, looking looking forward, just based on science and past patterns, you can kind of predict. The, the future. I mean, I'm not going to... You could be the exception. You could be one of the small percent that yeah. make it through without it. That's true. <laughs> and, that, you know, I I guess I could probably tell myself, hey, this is never going to happen. And um, uh, I've got this anxiety stuff under control. And I'm never going to struggle with it again. You don't want to lie to yourself. and You don't want to give yourself that... Uh, false hope. That false hope because... you you got to try to see things not negatively. You know, I'm not seeing things negatively in my opinion, dealing with anxiety yeah. in the future. That's not negative for me. I've done it all my life. So it's, it's just part of, I see it as just part of my life and I try not to dwell on it, but right. um, I don't, I don't tell myself that this problem solved. It's going to go away just by telling myself that, you know, um, right. you know, it was with me as a child. And when I, when I didn't, when I couldn't really form rational thoughts, you know, yeah. one way or the other. Um, so the chances of it being with me most of my adult life are pretty significant. Right. Um, right. But, but I agree with you. I, I agree that most people, especially if they haven't been suffer, sufferers all their life and it's not intense, like say somebody's going through a divorce and they, and they go through about a depression, I think that talk therapy can immensely help. In, in those particular situations where you're you don't necessarily have a a um, clinical lifelong depression depressive uh, diagnosis right but you're just kind of, you just need help coping with life I think that therapy is is good in those situations um, yeah. and it's it's probably good in in all situations I mean I could probably benefit from it but it's just you know you have to believe in in what they're telling you for, for oh that's for sure i think if you go into you. In, if you go into talk therapy with the mindset of this isn't going to work this is bogus 
chances are it won't work. Um, yeah. And if you're able to go that, into it with an open mindset of these are these are people who are trained in this. There's a lot of research that shows that talk therapy can impact the the connections in the brain and actual brain um, makeup. That uh, there's a much better chance of it being effective. I mean, I even wonder. And again, I'm no therapist, but um, when you describe your first panic attack, like holy crap, that sounds like you'd be going through some PTSD after that. You know, I mean, you believed you were going to die. Yeah, it, right? I did. I mean, uh, and, and I, I don't know if medication I, would take away going through PTSD, a serious incident when you're 17 or 18 years old where you believe you're going to die. And yeah, you don't, and it, you don't know what the hell's going on with your body. No, you don't. And, and, and you explain it, but, and, and the doctor, you know, uh, they'll sit there and nod their head and they'll kind of, they'll kind of notion that they know what you're talking about. But in your mind, you're like, there's no way I'm going to explain this because I cannot express the intensity of this right. through words alone. Yeah. Um, but, my but dad that must have been really traumatic for you. Yeah, it was. And, and like I said, it, it did have some uh, post-traumatic stress that followed it. Definitely, uh, you know, because uh, I think that most people that experience a, pan a panic attack for the first time, um, the most common symptom uh, of a panic disorder is the fear of it happening again when you know where you're going to yeah. be how you're going to deal with it oh i'm sure so i know a guy yeah, who walks that's... around with a one valium pill in his wallet all the time <laughs> and that's his safety net and i think it makes him get by because he knows that if i do have this panic attack i can pop this valium and i'll be okay and for him yeah. that's that's been kind of a lifesaver see i haven't i tried to uh i try to you know, because I, I, I've come to terms, you know, because when people have a panic attack, they're not going to die. Uh, they're not having a heart attack. They're not losing their mind. I've kind of realized that although it's an uncomfortable uh, situation as that is, I know that it's going to pass. Um, and I can pretty much, you know, grit my teeth and in worst case scenario, just ride it out. Um, I've, I've had several panic attacks since then, not nothing of that, of that severity, but, um, you, I think you just kind of get used to them. I mean, they're never comfortable. They're never easy to deal with, but you don't react to them as, as you did that first one, because you kind of have an idea what's going on. You kind of have an idea that, that it's common, that you're not going to die, that, you know, um, just what it, everything will clear up in, you know, 30 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I try, I carry medicine just in case, but I don't think I've ever rarely, you know, popped the pill right when I was having it because chances are when it, by the time it kicks in, the panic attack's going to be done anyway. Right. So, you know, I try not to rely on medicine to dictate my life. Um, but at the same, but that at the same time, you know, it's important to, to take it regularly uh, as prescribed. And, and as you were mentioning, you've had a, a few episodes of a, a major depression and you were questioning your medication, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's been a study after study has uh, shown that, uh, people with depression, whether clinical or not, um, consistently taking an antidepressant significantly 
decreases your chances of relapse. So um, it's something that, uh, that, you know, if I were to try to quit medicine, everything else in my life would have to be perfect. (laughs) I would have to, you know, I'd have to be under, I would want to be under constant surveillance or like not surveillance, but uh, cared to by a team of professionals. You know, I just wouldn't feel comfortable. Yeah. I have read some medical journals that that claim, you know, some research states that exercise is as beneficial as medication. So I think there's a lot of different, um, you know, journals and research out there that that have uh, varying degrees of uh, information. And uh, at any rate, um, what about when it comes to the depression? You know, we heard a lot about the, the panic. Does depression, um, how does that manifest itself with you? Well, for the ang- with the anxiety, when I, have, when I have bouts of severe anxiety, it's always accompanied with depression. Uh, the, the more severe the anxiety is, the severer the depression is. And it's always happened like that. When I'm clear of one or the other, I'm clear of both. Okay, so you would so, never have just depression. No, okay. I can't think of anything, yeah. and I've never had just anxiety because they kind of they really they're really closely related. Yes, because, absolutely, they're they're hand in I hand. I mean, if if somebody doesn't feel good, whether or not that's mental mentally they don't feel good, or maybe they're in a wheelchair, anything that anything that takes away from their physical or mental health, it's natural for someone to get depressed because. A, uh, you don't like not being able. Everybody wants to be able. And um, you worry about it. You know, is this right. going to happen? Is this going to be lifelong or whatever? So, yeah, it, those two, I mean, anxiety fuels depression. Depression fuels anxiety. And that's where um, uh, knowledge of understanding what you're what you're going through, understanding what your body is doing when you're depressed and anxious, reading up, educating yourself on that. I think it'll give a lot of people a lot of comfort. You know, a lot of, most people probably just rely on on what their psychiatrists tell them or what their therapists tell them. But, and, you know, they'll, they'll be going around in circles for years, not really ever feeling better. But the more you know about your illness, the more you know about the medicines that are used to treat it, the more you can kind of uh, input that into your treatment. I think it's really important for everyone to be a part of their own treatment right? Um, and and try to try to be as educated as they can on it and, and not rely on um, what a psychiatrist says because <laughs> my dad said it best one time. He, he the psychiatrist, he was telling a psychiatrist how he's feeling. And, um, you know, I think my, the psychiatrist said to my dad, yeah, I know how you feel. And my dad said, no, I don't think you do. Cause if you did, you would be on the other side of this desk. <laughs> right. Right. So, so, and, and that's true. You know, psychiatrists, uh, it, mental health, uh, unfortunately hasn't improved much in the last 60 years. And, and a lot of it's still guesswork. And right. Like I said, the, the more you know about it, uh, the more you can bring to the table, I mean, yeah. it's only going to help you. And look, chances are you'll you'll find a, the right combination of medicine, the right doses, a lot faster than 
if you were just dependent completely on psych, you know, what your psychiatrist says. Right. Because a lot of times, a lot of times your feelings, um, they'll overlap with another mental illness and your psychiatrist is kind of trying to try to pick that out or especially in cases where people are anxious a lot of times when they go in to see the doctor they don't they can't put into words how they feel or they're, they're too um uh anxious or or uh social socially phobic to talk and convey how they're feeling to their doctor accurately um so it, you know the more you know about it um and the more you can kind of figure out, okay, these are my symptoms. These are the, you know, uh, br- bring it to the doctor, and that you know that could only help. Yeah. Think. Hey, I, I want to ask you. Uh, I know you are an aspiring author, and you've been working on a book, correct? That I, I think you're hoping to to publish uh, the summer of 2018. Yeah, um, it's a book about an experience uh, that I had. Uh, a couple years ago about it's it's kind of a profound experience that I had um, with God um, talking with God about some of the different things that uh, people question in everyday life and you know I, I after the experience I just really felt compelled to, to write about it and to share it with others um, so that's that's what I'm doing right now I'm working on it it's a little more than halfway done um but i'm just trying to convey it in a way that people understand and sometimes that takes a while right now that sounds incredible um is that is there any type of connection to your mental illness and and the book uh no you know this was uh this was you know at a point where i was uh I was kind of down, but but not but not really. Uh, I wouldn't say depressed or anxious. It was more like um, frustration about kind of life in general and kind of how I didn't feel like I had the opportunities that everyone had, and you know, I just kind of felt frustrated because despite my my best efforts, I didn't feel I was getting anywhere in life, and I didn't really feel like I had found my purpose yet and then you know one one night I just kind of asked God uh, you know these questions and and I found out a a lot of information uh, that has helped me um, from you know from that experience forward it's just uh, profoundly changed my life and I decided to write about it and even though (laughs) even though I'll probably get uh, a lot of center attention, which I'm kind of, I'm actually kind of shy when it comes to interviews and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I figured this is worth, uh, telling people about, you know, because, um, I think it'll help a lot of people and, you know, mental, mental illness just kind of happens to be, uh, one of the categories that people, with mental illness might find this interesting because it does kind of shed some light on some of the, some of the questions we have about our purpose and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I have heard about some people who have actually sometimes, um, particularly people with bipolar disorder who are going through a manic episode where they believe, uh, where there's a strong piece of religiosity that's a piece of their um, delusions. But Mm -hmm. this is completely different. Um, This was actually um, unrelated to the mental illness that you've been dealing with. Yeah, it's it's actually completely unrelated. I just happen to uh, I happen to have anxiety and depression, but um, this book really doesn't have anything to do with those. And and that's one of the things I address. I think it's in maybe the preface, you know, about I'm I'm open from the very beginning that I have uh, that I've suffered, you know, from anxiety mainly and depression. Uh, never mania. I've never had any of the, the the big hopes, the high energy, the optimistic attitude of people with mania uh, experience. So, as a matter of fact, I'm quite the opposite. I've I have trouble even getting to the normal level of energy and optimist optimism, let alone beyond that. Um, so, yeah, but. A lot of people might question, but you know that's that's their right to question it. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that the you know I'm not gonna tell them what to believe. I'm just gonna be honest and say that it wasn't had it, nothing to do with um, you know delusions or mania or anything like that. I was actually quite stable right um, when I when that happened. So. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, I'm hoping to. It's just uh, writing a book. I really never realized how much work it was. But yeah, um, writing's actually the easy part. Uh, it's it's building up the audience on your on uh, you know your social platforms, doing interviews like like this and others that involve your book, and and reaching out to people, replying to emails. That's what takes. A toll on you <laughs> right right what you about can, finding a be, what about finding a publisher is that something you've done or is that still some legwork you'll have to do um that's going to be some legwork i'll have to do and i've written you know i'm trying to get a jump on things because this whole process has been over two years already and it'll likely be another year or so before i'm done because i'm working with a um, an editor and they're not they're not cheap if you get a good one. Right. Um, so, so it takes time to, to pay them off monthly. Um, but yeah, I'm interested. Uh, I've, I've even wrote, written some people, um, not with my full manuscript, but, but a basic summary of it. And I've got nothing but rejection so far. So, uh, a publisher is something I would like to get, yeah. um, because I'd really like to have that pub pub published traditionally rather than self-published right because i think i think if you have a publisher and you go the traditional route i think you can reach more people mm-hmm. um that pub, that publisher's got a lot of uh contacts and they can they can reach out to a lot more people than you can right so right. but it's something i'll have to uh deal with in the future unless you know, someone is listening to this that's a literary agent who wants to read a little bit more about it. I'd be glad to share it. But yeah. So you got to stand. 
stand tall and strong with the rejections because I've heard about, you know, finding a publisher um, can be very, a lot of rejections ahead of time, right? I mean, even you hear yeah. about some famous authors who had many rejections before somebody finally published their work and and then they hit it big. So, Oh, yeah. Harry Potter was is a good example of that. I, I can't tell you how many times he got turned down, but I mean, now it's like one of the biggest yeah. books and movies around. And uh, yeah, it's 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 hard to, you know, and, and especially sometimes you'll talk to people, and you know, they might they're probably an author themselves, and they might have uh, they might have published two or three, you know, even five books. I've yeah. talked to several. I've talked to several people and and they say, well, you're you'll be lucky to break even and get your money back in sales that you spent on editing. So and you have to you have to this is where I'm actually thinking positive, because if two, you know, two or three years ago, if I would have heard that, that would be pretty discouraging to give up on, you know, right. if you're not if you're going to come out in the hole and release a book, then what's the point of, of you know, doing it? Yeah. So. But you have to you have to reach down because there is a there is a percentage of people that that are first time authors that are highly successful. Oh, absolutely. And you, have, you have you have to just believe in yourself and believe that you're going to be part of that part of that group and believe that your book is important enough to be a part of that group. And yeah. if I didn't think it was important enough, I wouldn't have wrote it. So anything more you want to share about the book itself, in case there are any. Uh, any uh, possible publishers uh, listening? Uh, well, they can. Uh, if anybody wants to check out my website, I've got the first three chapters available um, for them to read. Um, just go to www.absolutereality.org. Great. And there they can read that um, and a little bit about me. Uh, so, and they can kind of keep up with uh, my social media by there's links where they can add me on Facebook and, and Twitter and things like that. Okay, perfect. And that was www.absolutereality.com. Yeah. A B S O L U T E R E A L I T Y.org. org. Oh, dot org. Okay. Yeah. Great. All right. Fantastic. And I'll, I'll make sure to have some, uh, links in the show notes as well for the podcast um okay, well, that's awesome. excellent uh, good luck with the book um i am wondering uh if you have any kind of final tips suggestions advice or words of hope for the listeners um who may be struggling with a mental illness currently yeah the the most uh important thing is if you're depressed and you're suicidal they have all kinds of helplines, if not national, they certainly have them local. Call somebody, don't be afraid to tell them about it. Don't be afraid of, you know, that you're the fact that you're depressed. I mean, this is a very common problem. You know, up to 25% of America is suffering from this. So you're not alone. Call that number if you're suicidal. Don't, don't ever think that suicide is the answer. Um, because things, despite how you feel, things will get better. Um, you will feel better in time. It, you just have to to uh, keep going, uh, keep trying new things, 
keep trying different medicines if, if your doctor suggests. Um, talk to someone, a family member. But most importantly, realize that you're not alone. And, and however you feel, even if you've been feeling that way for five years, um, things will get better. It, you just have to find the right person, you know, get the right team going, maybe get on the right medicine, but uh, things will get better. That's probably the most important um, piece of advice because a lot of people who are depressed or even anxious, just anxious for that matter, they think that uh, their whole, the rest of their life is going to be like that. And that's not, that's not the case. Um, uh, you will get better. Just, just hang in there and uh, give it some time. All right. Excellent. Very well said. Well, Josh, I want to thank you uh, very much for taking the time to be on The Depression Files. I want to wish you luck with the the book and make sure that you uh, stay healthy. All righty. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text to 741741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you're a man who has experienced depression and would like to be interviewed for the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at AlLevin18. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.